It's time for episode 389 of the Clockwise Podcast from Relay FM, recorded Wednesday, March 10th, 2021. Clockwise, four people, four tech topics, 30 minutes. Welcome back to Clockwise, the tech podcast that's half an hour and all of yours. I'm Dan Morin, and I am joined across this internet by my good friend, my co-host, my dungeon buddy, Mr. Micah Sargent. How are you doing today, Micah? I am doing well, Dan. I am uh, hanging in there and excited about today's show. Oh, good. Well, you have good reason to be excited because we are the show that talks about four tech topics with two fantastic guests. And to my left this week, it is the senior video producer from Polygon and the co-host of Rocket right here on Relay FM, Simone de Rochefort. Welcome back, Simone. Dan, thank you so much for having me back. I still haven't learned the difference between right and left, but I hope that it'll be okay anyway. Micah, also thank you. (laughs) I hold up my hands, right? You make the L. Oh, no, they're both Ls. What have I done? (laughs) (laughs) Um, To my, hold on, uh, left uh, is uh, editor at Engadget, as well as co-host of the Slash Film cast. It's Devendra Hardawar. Welcome back. Hello, hello. Well, we have a fantastic panel lined up today. Let's kick it off. I'm going to start with my topic. Google claims it's going to stop personally tracking individuals for advertising purposes. Is this a real change? Is it a big difference? Or is this some just some different spin? I guess I'm grading you on whether you're an optimist or a cynic. Simone, what do you think? <laughs> Okay, so I am a noted, I think, tech pessimist. I think that's my whole brand now. However, (laughs) I do still think that there is some inherent value in a company as large as Google promising to do away with third-party cookies and and trying to obfuscate individual users in these like large groups of of potential advertising recipients as they're saying they're trying to do that being said it's so hard to believe when like when Google's advertising is so lucrative and when all of our presence on the free internet is based on like being able to be sold to it's so hard to believe that there's not simply going to be something else that's going to come along that will violate our privacy in innumerable ways. So I guess that's that's both my optimist and my pessimist take <laughs> on this. Uh, what do you think, Micah? I think, Simone, you've put it perfectly. I agree with you. Um, having a, a large company kind of say this does lend some uh, some some more to the the fight. Um, whether we can, you know, trust that that company will do the thing that they're saying they're going to do to the extent that maybe we expect them to do it is a whole nother thing. So I think we just have to continue to pay attention and continue to be vigilant about our personal privacy uh, online and, you know, celebrate the wins when they take place and uh, hit no on all of the requests for (laughs) for I hit yes on all of them. I'm the problem. (laughs) Oh, no. Uh, What about you, Devinder? Are you the problem? Uh, you know, I, I don't know. I, I feel like I'm the problem for tech companies because I'm always the guy complaining about everything they're doing. I think this was kind of a huge move from Google. Um, you know, if you've been following the tech industry since the late 90s, this this targeting your ads, this is their business. It's not really search or all the other stuff they have. Like it is really ads empowering ads for the Internet. So 
I think this is a big shift for them. I believe like they are fundamentally trying to avoid the individual tracking, but they're the only reason they're doing this is to prevent uh, further regulation from the government, right? And from governments mm. all over the world. And I don't think this will be enough. I still hope that uh, you know the U.S. government and the EU and everyone else is going to keep looking hard at everything Google is doing and make sure they actually follow through with this and make sure their new strategies for they're going to group people together in cohort uh, cohorts to kind of track that data instead of individual data. And I want to make sure that is as uh, anonymous as they say, too. Mm. Yeah, I know. I'm kind of with most of you that there's a dividing line here. And I think mm-hmm. the first like sort of thing to take away from this is Google would not take do this if they didn't think they could still make a ton of money, right? Like yes. they're not going to, yes. they're not going to take like cut their own legs out from under them and say like, <laughs> Oh, well there goes our business model. No, they're doing this because they have a solution that's at least as good as what they're doing now. And moreover, a solution that probably provides them an advantage over what a lot of their competitors are going to be doing. Uh, they specifically mm-hmm. mentioned like, Oh yeah, other people might provide more granular tracking stuff, but we think our, our solution will be better because of, and they emphasize this a bunch, like our first party data, essentially all the data they've already collected in, inside Google and put together. <laughs> so there's a lot of loopholes here. I agree totally with Devendra that this is a, a attempt to escape more regulatory practices and probably to shift the attention on onto other people like Facebook who are still doing probably some individualized tracking. So uh, great tactical move there. But I think it's probably still got a silver lining, at least for consumers who want to maintain control of their individual data because they are so big in the advertising market that this is a, a big change no matter what. So I don't think it cures all of our ills but i do think it has some significance to it thanks for your thoughts on that let's go to our second topic today which comes from simone all right so tiktok is rolling out a nudge feature uh, on its comments so similar to what twitter will do when you try to retweet an article you haven't read now that i would know uh it asks you hey are you sure you want to do that bro tiktok is rolling out uh something like that for comments where if you try to post something uh rude It'll be like, uh, 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 have, have you read our terms of service recently? Do you, are you sure you want to say something like this? Um, my question, I guess, for you all is, in, in this year of our Lord 2021, when everyone is so tired and so emotionally fragile and so seemingly angry, <laughs> is a robot telling us to maybe not be mean enough? I think for some people it is. I think uh, it's not going to... Uh, I, I hazard to to believe that it's going to affect the folks that are uh, the trolliest among us, um, because they tend to also not see actual humans as humans that's part of the the way that the reason why people can troll so easily is they sort of detach uh, the humanity from from the person mm-hmm. but for someone who maybe would have erred on the side of unkindness um who otherwise would have chosen kindness or chosen uh as our mamas say not to say anything at all um then i think that it can affect based on the fact that even when i have read an article before uh on you know separate from twitter and then saw it on twitter and tried to retweet it and then i saw that little thing there's a part of me that's like oh maybe i should just tap on the link just so that twitter doesn't judge me (laughs) Um, so so i'm certainly affected by this i think other people will be affected by this as well and maybe the people who curse at their amazon echoes are not the the folks that are going to be affected by this but we'll see Devinder, what do you think (laughs) 
Uh, you know, I feel like it is, it's like putting a bandaid on a gaping, bleeding wound. <laughs> I don't, I don't know how much of a difference this is going to make. Maybe sure. Yeah. Some people, it'll make them think twice, but I feel like any social platform needs to have robust, uh, moderation and robust, like, uh, better, smarter ways and just warning people. Uh, I hope like, uh, TikTok is using all of its algorithmic knowledge to kind of do a better job of finding spam and things too but you know this is one element it's one piece of their toolbox i'm surprised it took so long but i don't think it's going to make a huge difference ultimately like this this happens to every single social network or social platform or message board on the internet enough people get together it is hard to stamp out the jerks and just reminding people not to be jerks rarely helps you know <laughs> yeah especially for with using a robot right like because everyone knows robots exactly. don't have feelings what do they care um i think yeah I, i'm kind of with you Divinger. i think it's a maybe a meager improvement but it's still one that should be there it did sure. remind me a bit of uh several years ago a friend of mine and uh, a, a guest on the show sometimes Kristen Morgan was at a startup called civil comments which was sort of aimed at uh, being the comment provider for a lot of like newspapers and stuff and trying to essentially promote discourse that was not rude and not just trolling. And sadly, it ended up, you know, not really ma- making a go of it. But I think that that deals with some fundamental problems we've experienced on the internet and all of social media, especially. Um, I, I think... Yeah, I, I don't think that this necessarily has a lasting impact, especially on social media where virality is driven. Uh, it's like so... It's the goal, right? The goal is to go viral. And if you can go viral by doing things that are awful, people will do it. Mm -hmm. Not everyone, but Mm -hmm. it's kind of just an innate way of the platform. So I'm not sure what you do to prevent that. I think... I don't know. Maybe maybe this should be like a video game world where all your powers have cooldowns, right? Like maybe there should be a cooldown <laughs> on tweeting things or comments or whatever. And then, uh, you know, maybe if even if people don't decide to do better of it, maybe they just get bored and walk away. Maybe that's the answer. I don't know. Simone, why don't wrap up here? For 24 hours. <laughs> I, yeah, you know, I think when I when I originally came to this topic, I was more pessimistic about it as usual. Um, having heard you all talk, I think I fall somewhere between Micah and Devendra's opinions in that I completely agree. Like there are certainly people, and especially as we've seen with I like the um popular TikTok creators, Charlie and Dixie D'Amelio, have just accrued a lot of negative attention lately. People are just kind of being mean to them for no reason. Those people aren't going to be deterred by this, but I do think, Micah, you have reminded me that I think most people are good, or at least fine, (laughs) and don't genuinely go out onto the internet each day intending to cause harm to people, and it's just that there are, that minority of voices uh, is much louder (laughs) than Mm -hmm. the the normal person who doesn't go around leaving mean comments on 16-year-olds' TikToks. (laughs) So, Yes, I, I do think it is a Band-Aid, but as you said, Dan, there's no reason not to institute something like this. So that's how I feel now. That's good. All right. Well, that's two topics down, two topics left to go, which of course means it's halftime here at Clockwise. And this week's episode is brought to you by Behind the Tech with Kevin Scott, a show about tech heroes who have made our modern world possible. Each episode features innovative people who have made their mark in their respective fields as they chat with Microsoft's Chief Technology Officer, Kevin Scott. Topics include AI, bioscience, autonomous systems, and more. They also have a number of incredible guests, including science fiction, science fiction author Charles Strauss, uh, Reed Hoffman, LinkedIn founder, entrepreneur, author, and venture capitalist, and astronaut Dr. Mae Jemison, the first African-American woman in space. 
who chats with Kevin about human interstellar flight, the 100-year Starship project, and experiential education. She discusses achieving one's own level of excellence and explains why exploring an extraordinary tomorrow creates a better today. And you might hear a familiar voice on the show as Relay FM host and Simone's co-host Christina Warren has joined the Behind the Tech podcast. I took a listen to the episode uh, interviewing with Charles Strauss, uh, who's a science fiction author, which is a subject near and dear to my own heart. And he talked a bunch about where he gets these ideas for his science fiction novels, which include stories about like heists in MMOs, uh, the singularity, all sorts of cool stuff. Um, he goes into a whole bunch of his uh, investigations on topics, everything from like religion to public health. Uh, Charlie's a really smart guy uh, and does a ton of research and stuff. So a great interview. Go check it out now. Just search for Behind the Tech with Kevin Scott wherever you get your podcasts. That's Behind the Tech with Kevin Scott, or just click the link in the show notes. Check it out. Our thanks to Behind the Tech with Kevin Scott for their support of this show and all of Relay FM. All right, halftime is over. Micah, what do you got for us? Simple question for you: uh, decalages, ebooks, <laughs> or audiobooks? I need some explaining. Here. <laughs> Uh, what is your preferred reading format? Devendra, uh, decaledges are those really annoying rough ed. Well, uh, I shouldn't say really yes, annoying. Yes, so yes, people yes, like yes. them. Yeah. They, they rough like edges them. on the books. That's uh that's fancy. It makes, it reminds me of college and like the only time I would have encountered those books, but no, for me, it is, uh, it is Kindle, even though, yeah, I'm always suspicious of Amazon. I do think the Kindle is like this, kind of like a miraculous little device just in the way they've made ebooks a thing and it is so easy to hop on and read something long form on that rather than on my phone or tablet or computer so yeah i'm really down with kindle but yeah i'm always looking at open source like ebook alternatives too i love physical books a lot i grew up in a house i mean my parents are librarians uh i'm an author i love just the physical experience and tactile experience of dealing with the book mm-hmm. so how do i read my books these days mostly on my kindle um I feel like <laughs> really bad about same it. way same way i prefer the book it's the give worst. me a book that you know it just, give me a kindle that feels like a book the, right? the yeah. problem is just like so often i'm there at night and i'm like oh i want to read this book yeah. and it's like i can't get the physical book right now i want it right now it's that <laughs> Im- impatience so i uh, i try to buy some physical books less now like when my local bookstore is not open as much or like it's a little bit more of a barrier there i do try to get physical books from the library every once in a while too but ebooks have expanded in popularity there as well um it's funny too because like even recently i was i was planning on reading a friend of mine's got a book coming out in a few months and i was like oh i'll buy a physical copy of that mm-hmm. it's it's gonna be a beautiful book etc and then she like sent me a pdf like galley of it. i was like come on i was gonna i'll still buy it but i'm gonna <laughs> read it now yeah. all right that's fine so the, the I, new kazuo ishiguro <laughs> is out now and i believe that is like tech there's a lot of tech in that yeah i am the the actual physical book is nice i just don't know when i'll have a chance to read it right yeah. exactly so i really like physical books when i can get them but uh day to day i just i end up being an ebook reader predominantly simone what about you you know i am no longer allowed to buy physical books unless it is something <laughs> that i truly or? know i'm gonna love this i'm gonna keep it i'm gonna reference it uh, I did actually recently buy a physical book. I bought uh, the collection of letters between Hemingway and his editor, mm. Max Perkins, because um, I realized that my local bookstore, Book Culture, they're doing online orders now, and they either deliver or you can pick up, which is great, because uh, I don't use Amazon. However, yes, I do mostly read ebooks, and I really, I really do prefer it, not because I don't love pages and the smell of books and all that, but just because it's, I think, a lot easier for me to 
pop over to the Mm -hmm. Libby app, which is the library app that I use, and read a few pages of a book. Um, It it just kind of fits more into my lifestyle. And certainly when I was commuting, (laughs) remember those (laughs) days? Uh, That was the easiest way to read a book on the subway. And when I take the subway again, it will continue to be the easiest way to read a book. And I just appreciate, I think, the variety of uh, reading apps that I can have on my phone. I have not dabbled in tablets for actual books yet. Um, And I hear that they are wonderful and it changes Mm -hmm. your life to actually be looking at an e-ink screen instead of staring at your phone all the time. Um, And I imagine it would also make me feel better because sometimes I have this like guilt reaction where I'm looking at my phone and I want to tell people, um, I'm reading a book, just so you know. (laughs) I'm not on Twitter. I'm reading a book. (laughs) Um, And it's a really good one, too. It's an Agatha Christie book or a (laughs) schlocky romance novel because that's what I read. But anyway, yeah, um, I'm all about that that ebook life. Dan, I wonder if the person you're talking about is the person I'm talking about that inspired this topic because um, she just sent me a PDF and I thought, huh, this is interesting because I'm probably going to wait until uh, the audiobook is out to to you know fully enjoy it. Um, although. Given my feelings about uh, this author and their book, I'll probably read it anyway, uh, very quickly because I love the first one. But anyway, point is, um, for me, I am not a deck of ledges or an ebook. I mostly listen to uh, audiobooks. And mm-hmm. that is, it, there's something about audiobooks for me that. Uh, it just that just does it for me. Um, sitting in, I, I, so I I was diagnosed with ADHD some years ago now, and sitting and reading a book uh, for a long period of time is a challenge for me. Um, mm-hmm. It 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 genuinely is, and I will get distracted. I'll want to get up and do fifty thousand other things, and the best way for me to enjoy a book is listening to it. And then that way, my hands that can't sit still can do other things while I'm listening to the book. And I have read so many books because of finally, like, letting go of any weird shame I had about being an audiobook person. And I now have read so many stinking books. And I'm so happy that I gave up that shame. Also, I'm, gl- I'm glad you found something that worked for you, Micah. Uh, another thing brought to you by Amazon, most likely, if you're doing Audible. <laughs> yes, um, yes. It is weird how I've tried audiobooks so so much, you know, to try to get into them. And I always find it hard to follow everything, even though I listen to tons of podcasts. Like, I have a podcast on almost every minute of the day while I'm doing stuff. I Yeah, I don't know. Maybe there's like a hump I have to get over for that. Audiobooks are a pure sleep yeah. aid for me. Yeah. I do that too. The, yeah. I do that too. <laughs> yeah. I was going to say yeah. the. I wanted to put a plug in for uh, someone mentioned her local bookshop. Bookshop.org is a nice site that works mm. with local bookstores. So if you have a local bookstore and you want to order stuff for them and you want to support them, check out bookshop.org because they're making it easy to get from your local bookstores. Awesome. Awesome. Nice. Uh, thank you all for that. Let us move on to our final topic, which comes from Devendra. Yeah, I wanted to bring up something that, uh, you know, kind of has broken my brain. Uh, I'm reminded of Chidi in The Good Place of when <laughs> he just sees that moment. It was like, what? The the loop of the, what, what was the name? Jeremy the Bear thing? Me. The Jeremy Bear Me, like, dot. Um, yeah. I'm talking about NFTs or non-fungible tokens, which is the thing everybody's been talking about lately. And this is the idea of taking the blockchain, taking, you know, the Ethereum blockchain specifically, and kind of doing for money. Um 
I don't know, like uh, basically tagging um, digital objects onto the blockchain. So there is some sort of exclusivity there, which is good for art. It's good for certain things. I know, um, what is it? The Twitter founder is trying to like, uh, you know, he was, he set up an NFT auction for the first tweet. Uh, the neon cat, the original non cat or whatever you call the original was sold for nearly $600,000. I'm just wondering what you guys think about this because it's like, I, my brain is still trying to think like, I don't, understand what the deal is like what is the exclusivity of something digital that will immediately be copied and will be bit for bit the same Mm -hmm. uh you know all over the internet what is the point of even having the exclusive (laughs) nft of something i you know i think it's really interesting i kind of love this idea because Uh it is something that feels like it definitely indulges a certain mindset and i think you could make a similar argument for people who buy original artwork in a lot of cases like Mm -hmm. i totally understand the appeal of it uh i have some original pieces done by like some artists that i know and it's like i i like that it's got some cachet to it right and it's like but it's a thing it's a hold which is totally true i i totally get that but how different is it from you can't buy like a picasso or unless you are super rich you can't buy a Mm -hmm. picasso or a monet or something like that to hang in your house you can buy a cheap poster right like and most people who will do this will buy (laughs) a replica and the answer is you're already getting a replica that is probably indistinguishable in most part like you're not sitting there staring at that art probably in most cases Mm -hmm. thinking Mm -hmm. about all the the work that went into it right like that's what going to a museum is for so i can see the appeal to people who have you know, a lot of money and kind of like the idea of having the cachet of, oh, I own this thing, even if it's not a physical thing that they can touch and feel, at least until, I guess, NFTs make their way into VR, which will be really weird. Mm. Um, but I, I think there's something to it. I don't think we figured out what it is yet. It's still extremely early. But I do think that there is an element here uh, that it struggles with that that problem, that age-old problem of like, what is digital content if it can just be copied all the time and reproduced, is there anything that is sort of original in a digital age if it's not tangible? Is there an analog to that? And I don't yeah. know, but I think it's it's interesting and it's worth exploring. Simone, what do you think? Dan, I can't afford a million dollars for a Picasso, but I also can't afford $150,000 for a crypto kitty. <laughs> and one of those things doesn't exist. <laughs> um, this is, I think, one of the first big milestones in my life where I feel truly old. Yes, because I yes, don't... exactly. <laughs> I don't get it. Um, and I... I no, I haven't tried to keep an open mind. I was about to say that I did. That's not true. Um, Thank you for your honesty. Thank you. Yeah, because I think I, I, I'm a little biased against cryptocurrency anyway, because mm-hmm. I it seems so completely lawless while also privileging a certain kind of person who can afford to get into it. And this to me is just like the worst extension of that, where it becomes about wealthy people trading art um and potentially artists i already wealthy artists who can't afford to get into this and have their art uh put up for sale in these galleries or artists who can't really afford to get into it but are deciding to take the risk anyway um and could potentially lose money it just does not seem like a good deal to me for anyone except for people who already have a lot a lot of money um on top of ruining the planet. <laughs> yeah. So, exactly. Yeah. I, back to, I guess, the original question. I don't understand the point of owning exclusive digital content 
It is something that I am still trying to wrap my brain around. And I don't know if I'm ever going to get there. <laughs> it just it just seems so bro-y. Um, and, and I hate to sort of, um, distill it down to that, but I think that that's one of the things I hear about this and it immediately kind of makes my nose scrunch and I kind of just have this instinctual, ew, that just, just happens in my brain, uh, about it because the, um, the conversation surrounding it, the uh, celebration of it, it all comes from a, uh, fr- from what I've seen, the loudest voices uh, or the, the most prominent voices are bro-y voices. <laughs> and that's kind of what has me immediately skeptical. But, you know, aside from that, I never really got the whole, I've got the rare Burger King gold Pokemon card. <laughs> and so, therefore... <laughs> I don't even know if it was Burger King. Don't send me emails. Um, it, therefore, I have this incredibly expensive thing that's worth so much money and everybody should try to, you know, uh, offer me money for it. I'm not really a collector. And so collections in general don't make sense. But I, I, and see, normally this is where empathetic Micah would go. Mm-hmm, but mm-hmm. if you like it, I love it. And if you want it, if you think this is great and this works for you, then that's totally great. And in many cases, I do say that thing. But my my rule is always, as long as you're not hurting anyone, uh, unless you know they consent to be hurt. And in this case, as far as I know, the planet does not consent to be hurt. Uh, and so that's where I can't just do the, if you like it, I love it thing. And I have because to kind of be... Because the mining for the blockchain requires yes, exactly. a ton of resources and electricity. And that is still damning to me. Yeah. I'm also... Have you guys seen these uh twitter accounts where like people people can tag in these twitter accounts and i guess authenticate tweets Mm -hmm. that don't belong to them Mm -hmm. i I just like to look into this and figure out what's happening with that but it seems sketchy there's a lot of sketchy and there is a there's a story you're filling around reddit of uh, somebody who made original wu-tang art i believe in like 2013 wu-tang clan officially took their art and turned it into an nft Oh. Right. There's a lot of questions yeah. ownership. Right, how, sure. There's no control over how anybody can do this stuff. Yeah. Huh. Yeah. Well, Dan, we're going to have to mint clockwise on the blockchain <laughs> so that nobody else takes it from us. I still don't know what a blockchain is. Anyway, Devendra, do you have anything else you'd like to say about this topic? No, you know, this is just one of those things. I, I feel like all of us, you know, like I like tech stuff. I like following new things. And this is the thing that broke me. We'll be talking about more on the Engadget podcast. So, you know, you guys can tune yeah, in more yeah, yeah. there to hear me complain. All right, that's four topics down. We got just enough time for a bonus topic. But before we get to the bonus topic, this week's episode is brought to you by Pingdom. Do you have a website? Does your website have a shopping cart, registration forms, or contact us pages? If you answer yes to those questions, then you need Pingdom. Nobody wants their critical website transactions to fail. That means a bad experience for your users and could mean lost business for you. But the good news is you can set up transaction monitoring with Pingdom. Transaction monitoring will alert you when cart checkout forms and login pages fail before they affect your customers and your business. Pingdom will let you know the moment any of these fails in whatever way is best for you. You can customize how you're alerted and who is alerted depending on the outage severity. Pingdom cares about your users having the smoothest site experience possible, and if disaster strikes, you'll be the first to know. It's super easy to get started. Go to pingdom.com slash RelayFM right now for a 30-day free trial with no credit card required. When you sign up, use code CLOCKWISE at checkout to get a huge 30% off your first invoice. Thanks to Pingdom from SolarWinds for their support of this show and Relay FM. All right, bonus topic really quick for you. Do you need silence to sleep? Do you prefer white noise, music, mm. something else? Simone? 
Ooh, I definitely, I'm a podcast and an audiobook sleeper, and I didn't used to be. Um, and I remember when I started doing this, I was like, I better not get attached to this. I don't want, I don't want to have to rely on this for the rest of my life. Well, <laughs> folks. <laughs> and yes, I do go back and I listen to the podcast in the daytime, so I don't actually miss anything. But yeah. What about you, Micah? Um, so th- the good news is, Simone, I have been an audiobook fall asleeper for uh, probably three or four years now. Oh. And the good news is that at some point, I think it could change for you because I am in, in like the last two or three months have started to uh, not want it i would you know wake up a couple of times in the night and take out the um earbuds so i think that you may it may switch uh, and go back and forth i'm becoming a i just want uh white noise to sleep which is usually just a fan in the room or something Thank like that you. davinder what about you i will say uh pre-baby I was all about the silence, right? I, w- I used to love just like opening the window and listening to the sounds of New York or wherever I was listening or staying if I was traveling. Uh, Post baby, babies need white noise machines. They really need them oh because that really helps with sleep and sleep is so important. So while we were living in New York, we had to have, um, you know, the white noise machine bedroom. I got really used to that. And now that we're in like a house and there's more room, I still need the white noise machine next to me to, to sleep because now the silence is uh, is more distracting than the noise it's kind of weird mm-hmm. yeah mm-hmm. yeah i am a um i'm a fan white noise sleeper which is unfortunate because my wife prefers silence so that's an ongoing battle so you'd uh, call yourself a fan of white noise i'm its biggest fan simone i'm the biggest nice. fan <laughs> All right, that is it for today. All that remains is for us to thank our fantastic guest this week simone de rochefort thank you so much for being here thank you thank you for having me this is fun and avindra hardawar thanks so much for joining us Thanks, everybody. It's always a fun time to be here. And Michael will be back next week. But until then, we remind everyone listening out there, watch what you say. And keep watching the clock. Bye, everybody. Bye.